0: So, another difficult passage of Jesus' speech, with apparently some very obtuse statements. I think as we struggle with some of these difficult passages, we're somehow getting closer to the mystery of God. Do you remember, perhaps, your first day at senior school? It seemed as if all the other children understood the rules and what they were supposed to do and they were all taking it in their stride. And you, like I did, may have felt completely lost and bewildered and unsure what the rules were and how they applied and who was going to get cross with you and who was it you could ask good questions of. Sometimes I think we fail to understand the nature of our Bibles and the words in it. We treat it as an interesting book or something that contains some good stuff. But frankly, we could never aspire to do all it asks us to do. And so we cherry pick the bits we understand or really like, the bits we find comforting and that we feel speak to us. And we ignore the difficult, uncomfortable bits That perhaps we don't understand, or the bits that make us feel overwhelmed. I know I do. I went on a course this week on preaching. Now, I'll be honest with you, I very nearly didn't go. It was a long drive. I'd woken up with a sore throat and a headache, and the last day had been really disappointing. I'd ended up in a discussion group with people who hadn't bothered doing the pre-reading, they weren't interested in preaching, and frankly had a lot of their own personal issues that they found much more important to talk about. I had felt it was a total waste of time. I'd come back frustrated and really disappointed. But my friend had phoned the night before to say she was ill, and would I make notes and collect handouts for her. So I went, out of loyalty to her. I was prepared to leave if I'd ended up in the same group again, planning to play the I'm really not very well card. So imagine my surprise when I was gripped by the drama of the scriptures we were looking at. Our lecturer had talked to us about grappling with scripture, how the difficult bits are the bits that can be so transformative, that the bits we don't understand give us insights to understand something of God. I could not believe that the Bible wasn't literally smouldering in our hands. It was so alive with meaning and depth and truly radical. Turn your world upside down words. Imagine how the disciples must have felt in the passage we've had read from Matthew. They were following this man they didn't really understand. They knew he was flesh and blood like them, but... He was healing the sick. He was causing quite a stir. They loved him. They had given up their jobs and their homes for him. They had committed to follow him, but they couldn't pretend to understand him. He's here, again coming out with enigmatic statements that are hard and complex and radical. He was teaching them, but they must have struggled to work out what it was he meant a bit like the child on its first day at senior school, perhaps not wanting to tell others how lost they felt, but not understanding this complex and bewildering new place that they found themselves in. Jesus starts with talking about salt and light and then goes on to discuss law. They must have wondered quite what the point was. The disciples may have felt that Jesus was a lawbreaker After all, he was already attracting large crowds, some of whom were looking to overthrow the Roman occupation. And then he goes and talks about how the law was to stand, not how the least stroke of a pen or the least letter was going to be taken from the law. And he seemingly condemns everyone, saying that unless the law is kept in entirety, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What on earth could this mean? Is it one of those passages we need to grapple with in order to understand? Thankfully, we have insight from Paul to help us. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church in our reading. Corinth was a large, jostling seaside town, and the church there was growing. But like any transformative, large body of people, the church had its problems. They struggled with the Hellenistic culture, which enjoyed mysteries but they looked to the ancient cults of deities to resolve them. Paul was an example of a man who kept every word of the law, who had taken pride in persecuting those that didn't, a man who was feared by Christians, and yet it seems a man who, after his conversion to Christianity, would be condemned by what Jesus is saying in Matthew. Is this an example of the Bible contradicting itself? Is this a bit of the Bible we should ignore or pretend doesn't exist because it's too difficult? Or is there a deeper, more liberating truth here? Paul is a man whose whole Christian ministry has been changed and formed by God's unceasing grace. He is a man who understands forgiveness and what Jesus did on the cross A man whose passionate love caused him to suffer imprisonment and torture for the sake of the cross. And yet, would he be condemned for not keeping every last letter of the law? The answer, of course, is in grace. Jesus knew when he spoke those words in Matthew that he was setting an impossible task. One that you and I, even the disciples, could never have hoped to fulfill. And this is where it gets exciting. This is where the Bible begins to smolder. Jesus knew we would need his Holy Spirit each and every day. Jesus knew that the only way to salvation was total dependence on him. That law would never save us. This is not wisdom of this age. Human wisdom. Wisdom of independence and security. Of the legacy of the age of reason. This is grace. This is knowing that however badly we mess up, Jesus is there to forgive us. This is knowing that the Holy Spirit is with us always, guiding us and freely given. This is a place where nothing is more important than Jesus, where the great apostle Paul talks about his weakness This is where the world is turned on its head. Kingdom values are more important than status or wealth. This is where the great mysteries of life, ones that the Corinthian culture and ours are seeking to resolve, birth and death, the great mysteries of the universe collide in Jesus. Our crucified Messiah is in fact the deepest mystery of all. It seems to be bizarre to be looking for the answers to the secret of life, love, beauty and death in a man who was crucified by Romans outside a Middle Eastern city. Crucifixion was regarded as something that wasn't mentioned in polite society. It was such a horrible way to die. Tom Wright likens it to mentioning in a polite dinner party how you've just seen rats eating a decomposing body. It was that shameful. And yet this is where grace begins. This is not the wisdom of this world. Paul understands the world in two ways. The world as it was before Christ, where human rebellion and death reign. And the world to come, bringing an end to all death, where God reigns. In Christ's death and resurrection, the new world God's kingdom has already broken through. This is why the rulers of this world don't understand God's wisdom. The greatest government of all time and the highest religion of all time got together and crucified the Lord of glory. The word of God is foolishness to those who aren't willing to hear it. So what does Paul suggest the Corinthian church do about this? And how do we respond to the greatest gift we could ever have been given? Paul and Jesus in our Matthew passage are urging us to live in this world as people who live as citizens of God, of the kingdom that has touched earth in the crucifixion. People who understand what Christ did for us, who know what loving each other and others and putting them first means. This is not a call to live in otherness, a spirituality which seeks to avoid the world, but one where we follow an incarnated Christ into the difficult and messy places. Like Sultan Light, declaring that God is here in the darkness. We need to live life as if this is not all there is, knowing that the cross which defies all human understanding, is our wisdom and our rule of life. Part of what we were doing yesterday at the parish Dare was about how we live as salt and light. I'm here today because others chose to make a difference and step out of their comfort zone to tell me about Christ and to live as salt and light. I bet a lot of us can think of moments when others have done the same for us. I went to visit my father on Friday. My father was one of the most intelligent and articulate people on the planet. He was heavily involved in politics. He used to read Scientific American as if it was a comic. His interests ranged through music and the arts to politics, science and philosophy. He was possibly the person for whom the phrase brain the size of a planet was originally written. He's now 84 and is in the last stages of his life. He's confused and anxious, unable to sustain a conversation, unable to understand or recognise his surroundings. He can no longer walk, see or feed himself. In his confusion he's in almost constant distress. I have struggled to understand what possible benefit God could get from allowing his suffering and pain to continue. My friends, this is why we need to be salt and light in this world. This is why we need to lift our eyes constantly to Jesus. This is why the wisdom of this world is confounded. This is not the end. My father, clever, wise, powerful, and scary though he was, has never understood faith. He found it incomprehensible. It fitted no logical reasoning. He thought the cross was nonsense. I can now only pray that somehow Jesus is able to reveal himself to him and have faith that even now, It is possible. It is for people like my Father, like our neighbours, like our work colleagues, that Jesus came. For people who, despite all the wisdom and knowledge in the world, haven't got a clue. I'd like to just pray that we would be salt and light in this world. And Father, that you would lead us to the people we need to be near.